By the way, we've been ministering on a series called, uh, basically called Radical Faith. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm excited about this series because I believe uh, faith is the foundation. It's that foundation that really causes us to go to the heights that God's called us to. And, you know, it says in Hebrews eleven six that it's impossible to please God without faith. And so faith is in a very essential, it's an essential part. But lots of times there's, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about faith. There's a lot of things that are said about it and kind of there's a confusion about it. And I remember in the, in the late 70s and into the 80s and 90s, uh, there were faith teachers that rose up and the faith message went out really strongly. People like Kenneth Hagin, uh, Kenneth Copeland, um, Fred Price. Uh, I mean, there was a whole group of people, Jesse Duplantis, uh, just a whole lot of guys, that, that, uh, that people that brought this message, and uh, they brought a lot of good stuff. But unfortunately, a lot of that stuff was taken, and it was misinterpreted, and it got to the point where, uh, and I remember hearing a message, have, you know, that faith, uh, the formula to faith, and it was like, A, if you do A right, and you do B right, and you do C right, then you'll get the results that you wanted. And so if you didn't confess it just right, if you blew your confession, you didn't say it just right, God wouldn't do it, and it was your problem. And that brought a lot of condemnation, a lot of, you know, just condemnation on people, and, and uh, I just want you to know faith is much more than a formula. In fact, uh, in, your, in your notes, that's <laughs> number one is uh, faith cannot be reduced to a formula. You know, God is a big God. And, and, uh, and in fact, in, in uh, Matthew eleven twenty two, a lot of people quote 23 and 24. Uh, you know, if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and do not doubt in your heart, believe what you say, it'll be done. But anyway, the verse right before that, in verse 22, it says, have faith in God. Amen. And that's, he's a big God. We sang about it today. He's a big God. And he's much bigger than the things we struggle with and the things we face. And so it's having faith in God. I remember I heard a message during that time is have faith in your faith. And I thought, man, if I'm having faith in my faith, I'm in trouble. And we're all in trouble because my faith is small. But Jesus said all I needed was a mustard seed as long as I got focused on him. So that's why it's so important to, to, that we, we don't put God in a box, but we, ha- we allow that faith to go beyond ourselves and to really look to him. And, uh, and so uh, I, I love Hebrews 11 verse 1, which is the, the biblical definition for faith. And this is the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible takes the original language and amplifies it. And, uh, and it says this, now faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divine, divinely guaranteed. Now, let me just say, now faith is the assurance. That means, now if you have a title deed to a home or to a car, whatever it might be, you know that you have it. Now, you may not have it in the car in your driveway. You not, may not be in the home yet. But if you have that title deed, it's yours. Amen? And that's the way faith is. When you have, it's, it's, that, it's that title deed. It's, it's that assurance. And it's that confirmation. And it says things hoped for. Now, the biblical kind of hope, the word elpis in the Greek, is not the same as the English word that we use. For example, unless you're a Vikings fan, you're going to say, I hope the Broncos win today. And I do hope they win today. Uh, but it's not a guarantee. We just don't know until the game's over. But, but we can say, but biblically, that word is, I, you know, it, it's a calm, confident assurance that what God says will definitely come to pass. It's divinely guaranteed that it's going to happen. We just don't know when. 
And sometimes when it doesn't happen in our time frame, we get all upset. Sometimes when it doesn't happen the way we think it should happen, we get ticked off about that. And, uh, and so, but it's important to know you got to hang in there. You got to continue. Now, notice it goes on to say, it goes on to say this. It says, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Did you hear that? So in other words, faith comprehends as fact, as a reality, those things that we can't really see or feel or touch. In other words, we can't comprehend it with our physical, our physical senses. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we walk by faith, say it again, by, and not by we don't walk by sight because when we focus on the situation, uh, it's hard to have faith oftentimes because the situation isn't good, amen? And so you, somehow you got to go beyond that. And that's why faith is not this formula. It's not this little package that if you do this and that. It's a relationship with God. It's that personal relationship that we come into, and that's what faith is all about. And so that's very important. Now, uh, I want you to see, too, that uh, Roman number two is... Say imagination. Now, we don't often think about this, but imagination plays an important role in producing faith and seeing the way God sees. Now, let me just say, and, and probably I could add God-inspired imagination. Do you know that we are made in the image of God, and God has an imagination? He's creative. The imagination part of you is the creative part of you. It's the part of you, for example... No song that we sang this morning just happened. First of all, somebody imagined it and thought of it and then actually put it down and then began to sing it, and now we sang it. And the same thing, this building just didn't happen. It would have been nice if God just dropped this building here. No, no, no. Actually, God showed me a vision of this building being built here. And, man, I held on to that when all hell broke loose, and it didn't look like it was going to happen. And, uh, you know, but God wanted it to happen. And, and so the, the amazing thing is that he helps us in those times. That's why faith really depends on him. It depends on us, but it depends on him. And so it's very, very important to recognize that in the midst of all the things going on, that we have an imagination, and that imagination can be used in a, in a good way or it can be used in a bad way. Let me give you an example of imagination used in a bad way. Worry is imagination in a bad way. Fear is imagination in a bad way. Fear stands for future events, F-E-A, appearing real. Future events appearing real. So if you're worried about something in a bad way and you're focused on that, that creates worry, that creates fear, and it's the opposite of faith. And, and so, so it's important to see that imagination can be used in a good way or it can be used in a, in a bad way. And I'll give you another example of bad. Uh, fantasizing over things that are destructive can become destructive in your life. That is a bad way for your, to use your imagination. Amen or oh me? Okay, amen. Okay, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So uh, it's important, though, but God wants us to use that imagination in the way he does. Now, God didn't, you know, the world just didn't happen. God, first of all, thought it up and then created it. In fact, it says in Hebrews 11.3, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And what we now see did not come from anything that can, that can be seen. In other words, God created it first in his mind, and then he created it in the earth. And then he said, let there be light. And so in the same way, 
that creative imagination that God's given us is a very, very important part of faith. And he wants to use it in the right way. I think a great example of this would be Abram. Abram was a guy who, uh, you know, God renamed. I don't know if any of you have the name Abram. It's, it's a nice name, but Abraham is a lot better name. You know why? The word Abraham, that name means father of many nations. Now, God spoke that name into him to help his imagination, to help his faith. Why? Because when he was 90 years old and Sarah was just a little bit younger, God said, you're going to be Abraham, the father of many nations. And I want you to put yourself in Abraham and Sarah's shoes and you walk into a restaurant and they say, uh, how many would you like reservations for and under what name is it? And he says, it's under Abraham. Oh, Abraham, that's a wonderful name. You're the father of many nations. I bet you have a lot of people, you, you have a, a large table reserved. How many would you like reserved? He goes, two. Two? Just two? And you're the father of many nations? Yeah, just two. In other words, at 90 years old, you know, he was told he'd be the father of many nations. Now, how many of you know that was a stretch? How many of you know that he had to struggle with that? How many of you know that that went against his natural senses? And so, God helped him. He helped him, and he took him out, and he says in, actually in Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, then the Lord took Abram, and he was still called Abram at this time, outside, and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. Now, how many know you can't count the stars? I mean, the stars are way beyond our ability to count them. And, uh, and so, he says, count them, and he says, that's how many descendants you will have. Now, notice he got him to visualize the stars as descendants. So every time Abraham walked outside, outside of his tent, and looked up at the sky, he saw those stars, and guess what? It reminded him that he was going to be the father of many nations. How many know he probably had to be reminded many, many times? Because as he got older and older and older, it just seemed like it was more and more impossible. Goes on to say this, and then he says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted, counted him as righteous because of his faith. So he believed, even when it didn't seem possible, he believed. Now, in Romans chapter 4, 17, it says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead, and literally, there was no way that, you know, that they could have produced children in their own strength, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So faith is something that goes beyond our physical ability to comprehend it. It goes beyond our natural ability to make it happen <clears throat> because God is a great God. He's a great God. And what I want you to get more than anything else is when you realize how great he is, your faith will naturally rise to a whole new level. When you just look at yourself and say, well, this depends on me and how much talent I have or how much ability I have, and so I'll have to get it done. Let me tell you, if, if it depended on me, we'd all be in deep trouble, and including myself. You know, if it depended on you, we'd also be in trouble, even though you're looking good today. But here's the deal. The truth is that it depends on him and our trust in him and our hope in him and our faith in him. And, you know, it, it, it's so important to recognize that. Uh, I think... One of the things, you know, there's different people in history who have made statements. Now, when you look at the 20th century, if I were to ask you, 
who would you say would be the greatest genius of the 20th century? Uh, whose name comes to mind? I know mine comes to the, the guy with the kind of crazy hair, you know, and the, and the glasses. Albert Einstein. Now, it's nothing to do with Einstein bagels, but anyway, uh, uh, Albert Einstein was an amazing, amazing genius. And he wrote these, he, he penned these words, uh, which are very powerful. Imagination is, notice this, imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge can take you from A to B, but it's supposed to say imagination, but uh, Jan couldn't read my writing, unfortunately. But imagination will take you anywhere and everywhere. Say imagination will take me anywhere and everywhere. The true sign of intelligence, this is Albert Einstein speaking, the true sign of intelligence is what? Imagination. It's that creative ability. Only human beings have that. God's given us that. You know, and he wants us, he wants us to allow him to do that. And it's in that relationship with him that that imagination comes out, that, his, that the imagination that he's given us becomes God-inspired. And uh, I just want to encourage in the midst of that. Now, you know, that's why quiet time is so important. That's why it's really important to spend time with him because it's in those times that he'll help us to dream. He'll show us visions. Even while we're sleeping, he'll show us things. And so it's really important to allow it. And sometimes our, our logical mind will just shut it down and go, no, nah, no, nah, that doesn't make any sense. That, there's no way that could happen. I want you to not limit God because with God, all things are possible. There's nothing impossible with God. And so we've got to realize what a great God we serve, what a powerful God, what a big God we serve. And uh, sometimes we limit him to our own self and our own comprehension of him. And he's much greater than that. Now, I want to talk about one of the keys to the way faith works. You say, how does faith work? You know, and, and, and it's, it's a complicated thing, and yet it's simple. But the primary force behind faith is love. Say love. Faith works by love. In fact, that's what the scripture says. If you look with me in Genesis, Genesis chapter 5, verse 6, it actually says, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. In other words, whether you're circumcised or whether you're not. Now, he was addressing the, the basically the Galatians who were influenced by the Judaizers who were telling them if they needed Jesus, but they also needed to fulfill the law and they needed to be circumcised. And he goes, no, no, no. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. It's not about whether you're walking in the law or not walking in law. It's actually about Jesus Christ and him alone. And it, you don't have to be circumcised in order to fulfill the law. And so he's saying, that's not, that's not important. But he said, what is important is it's faith working through what? Faith working through love. That's the key. Faith works by love. Let me give you an example because you say, well, how does that work? Well, if you're deeply in love with God, there's just a natural byproduct of that is love. I mean, if you're deeply in love, the natural byproduct is faith. The natural byproduct of loving him is faith. If I'm deeply in love with God and he tells me to do something, man, I don't want to disappoint him. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do what he says to do. Amen. If I'm deeply in love with somebody else, <clears throat> I don't have to have faith to help them. I want to help them because I'm in love. I, I love them. And so that's why love is that motivating force, that motivating power behind faith. Now, let me show you the Greek word. It's interesting. The word for works here is the word energeo. Say energeo. See, you know a little Greek. It's not just the guy that runs the restaurant down in Denver. Anyway, uh, anyway, uh, energeo actually means to make manifest, to empower, 
to energize. So that's where we get energy from, or energize. So basically, basically it means to energize. Literally, faith is energized by love. And so love is such a key aspect. The more we fall in love with God, the greater our faith in him. And the more that we fall in love with people, the greater our faith is to help those people. And, and you know, it, it, it's so important. Love is so key in faith. And lots of times it gets overlooked. And sometimes faith becomes this formula and faith becomes kind of dry. And it's not. It's a, this dynamic relationship that comes out of our loving relationship with God. You know, uh, one of the greatest things that, try to, that stops faith is fear. Fear, you know, is, again, you know, Fear is that, that force that tries to stop you because fear will get your eyes off God and it'll get your eyes on the problem and the eyes on the inability and bad things that are going to happen. And so that fear stops you. But, but the scripture says in 1 John, 1 John 4.18, it says, perfect love does what to fear? Boom, it casts it out. And that word in the Greek means it violently throws it out. It doesn't just say, could you please leave? It violently kicks it out of there. It, it, you know, it's a powerful force. So love casts out fear. And so the more in love you are with God, the less fear has an opportunity in your life. The more in love you are with, with another person, the less that fear has that opportunity to destroy that relationship. And so again, very, very important to recognize. Now, um, we're going to receive communion in a few minutes. And I want to, I want to talk about some things that are very important also, you know, to operate in faith, you know, it's really important uh, operating in our true identity, say identity. You know, that's what empowers us to really walk in faith. And, and let me just say this, lots of times we're trying to do things for God. We're trying to step out and walk in faith and do this and do that. But let me, let me just say, if you don't know who you are in Christ, you're going to be trying to do those things out of your ability, out of your power out of your, you know, limitations. It's so important, so important to be able to step out into that place of faith. You know, um, as I said, imagination is a, is a big part of faith. Now, you've heard of the great theologian George Lucas. I want you to know the Star Wars trilogy, which really transformed the movie industry, it was, great. it was just something that was totally new and transforming. Uh, it was very, very powerful. Uh, you know, that didn't just happen. In fact, George Lucas says something that's very powerful. I want to just read this. He says, you can't really do it unless you imagine it first. Now, <laughs> it's important. And by the way, there's a new Star Wars that's coming out, I think, in December. Uh, Disney bought the rights to it. So I'm excited. Uh, to, to, I remember I, Mike was here in the last service. And I, I took Mike when he was little. I took him to the first Star Wars. And he had nightmares for about three weeks after that. <laughs> I realized I'd made a mistake. He was a little too young. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but here's what I want to say. I want to say that you got to know who you are in Christ. It's not just stepping out in faith. But when you begin to know who you are in Christ, then you're able to step out into faith and do the things God's called you to do. It's not what you do, it's who you are, and you're not a human doing, amen? You're a human being. So it's important to be who you are in Christ and do the things out of who you are, not just do things out of your ability, because you'll limit yourself. You'll limit yourself because anything we do out of our human ability is limited. 
Bill Johnson has a great quote that I want to I throw out here. Uh, Bill Johnson has a great quote about that. He says, thought processes that start with human lack can only end up limited to human resources for human need. Kingdom thinking brings supernatural reality that anything is possible. And that's, that's the case. When you really get focused on God, you realize that he's a great God and that all things are possible with him. When you limit it to you, and you don't know who you are in Christ, then you're going to limit yourself in a very, very sad way. I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to realize who you are in Christ. You know, it's interesting that Galatians chapter uh, 2, verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. In fact, let's, let's read this together. Let's, uh, this, this is a great scripture because it's, it's who we are in Christ. Say, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now think about that. Okay, so, so when Jesus was crucified and when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, myself was crucified and I became a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit came to live in me. Greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. And suddenly I became a new creature. I became a son of God. You are sons and daughters of the living God. He lives inside of you. Now think about that. I'm crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And by the faith of the Son, in the Son of God, that's how I live. I live by that faith who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I don't live my life out of who I am in myself. I live my life out of who I am in who? In Christ, in Jesus Christ. And that's how you, are, that's how you live your life. That's how we need to live our life. It's who we are in Christ. Because believe me, who I am in me isn't going to get much done. It's not going to happen. But who I am in Christ opens up doors that no man can close. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that you are an incredible being. You're a new creation. God has great things. Now, some of you are facing some very difficult things. And those difficult things can rise up and cause fear and cause worry and, and rise up, especially when you look at your own abilities to try to get through that. But I want you to know you have supernatural ability at, your, at hand. And it's just believing in that. It's just receiving that. It's just having faith in a God that's much bigger than the crises you're facing or the difficulties you're facing or the situations you're facing. And when you know that, it changes everything. You know, I mentioned that fear oftentimes tries to stop us, but there's another more subtle thing that tries to keep us from walking in faith and walking in love, too. And it's unforgiveness. And it's forgiveness that frees us to walk, to walk out our God-given testimony, our, our God-given destiny, basically, or testimony, whatever you want to say. The bottom line is, and, and I just want to pause for a minute and just kind of move away from the notes. And I, 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 want, to, I want to just say that unforgiveness, which brings anger, frustration, hatred, and turns into bitterness, that will destroy not only your faith, it'll destroy you. Maybe somebody's done something to you and it's really not fair. It's really wrong what they've done. And there's something in you that rises up and man, you just want to get revenge. You want to get even. And that's a natural thing because what they did was wrong. But I want you to know that pain, if it turns into hatred and anger and frustration and bitterness, 
It won't hurt them, but it'll destroy you. And it'll get you to focus on them and wanting to get them and then focusing on you, and it'll take your focus off God, and you won't be able to walk in faith. You won't be able to walk in love. It's gonna, it'll just mess you up big time. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, right at the end of the chapter, it says, put away anger, wrath, bitterness, goes on and on, evil speaking, all those things clamoring. It says, put those away. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. I want you to know that unforgiveness is that subtle thing that comes in and really destroys what God has for us. Destroys faith, destroys love, destroys our destiny. We can't allow it. And sometimes it's so subtle. And it seems like we're justified in feeling that way. I've never told this story before, but I want to tell a story about my youngest brother. I have two two younger brothers. My youngest brother is Guy. Uh, He struggled with some things early in his life, struggled with alcoholism and other things. But anyway, he ended up in New York City, and God did a mighty work. God came into his room, gave him a vision how to help the homeless, and he did an incredible thing. He started a foundation called We Can, and out of that, he was able to hire all homeless people, set up reclamation centers around the city. Uh, he's spoken to the Harvard Business School several times. He's been on Good Morning America. He's done all these things for 25 years. He changed the, the course of history in New York City. But there was something that almost destroyed his life. See, my mom died when she was 69, and my dad remarried, and the person he remarried was not a nice person. She was an evil person. But for some reason, she hated my brother Guy. She wouldn't let my father see him. She wouldn't let take any calls that would come in. He couldn't see him. Uh, basically, she just cut him off in every way, shape, and form. My brother Guy got so upset about this. He got so angry that he thought of ways to kill her. One of the ways he thought, if I just taser her, she'll have a heart attack, and it'll look like she died of a heart attack. Now, I know that sounds funny in a way, but, but, but he thought of all these ways because he was consumed with this hatred for her. He was consumed, and it started to take weekend and take it down because the consumption of this hatred was so great that it overwhelmed him. He couldn't sleep at night. He's constantly thinking of ways to, to, to take her out, constantly thinking of these ways. And finally, in his desperation, he went to this Catholic priest who actually worked with the homeless and did, he, he did confession with a Catholic priest. Now, he's not Catholic. He, he's, he's a believer, but, not, but he just thought, no, I gotta, I, I'm desperate. And he went to this man, and he said, this guy was a great guy. And he told him to do something that changed his life. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine this person that you hate so much. And first, first of all, he said this. He said, that hatred will totally destroy your life if you don't deal with it. And here's how I want you to deal with it. He said, I want you to, over the next seven days, to each day take, and it may take two, three, four, five hours, each day I want you to visualize. I want you to visualize this lady when she was a little baby and then when she was six months old, and then the next day maybe when she's three years old, and then six years old, and then right up till she was an early teenager. And each day I want you to do that, I want you to pour love over her like honey. And he said it was really hard, but he said he did it. And he said the first night it took him like four hours, and he just prayed, and he said, God, please help me. And he, and he, and he poured this love over her. 
And he poured this love over her. And then he did it again. And, and, he, and he saw some things, how she was abused in her childhood. He saw these things. And he said, by the end of seven days, he said, not only did he not hate her, but he said he felt this compassion and love for her. He felt sorry for her. He felt, and, and he said, it totally broke this hatred and bitterness and anger and hatred that he had in his heart. And it literally transformed his life. And as a result, go ahead, you can give, give God a hand. I asked his permission yesterday to be able to tell this story, and he said I could. But, you know, it's an amazing thing because Weekend was, was actually going down during this time because he was so focused on this. And then Weekend just blossomed. And here's what else happened that was amazing. The Catholic priest told him, he said, on the seventh day, I want you to call your father at 5 p.m., and he said, I can't get through. She, this, the woman won't, she won't let me get through. He said, just call at 5 p.m. He called at 5 p.m. And supernaturally, she, was, uh, she had gone into the hospital and she was not there. And so he got to talk to my dad. He came down and saw my dad for the first time in several years. They spent time together. Anyway, he called me from Colorado. I came in. My brother came from Massachusetts. We came in and we literally rescued my dad and got him out of the situation he was in, which was a very bad situation. We got him out of that, and my youngest brother became his caretaker uh, when my dad was dying. I want you to know something. He looks back at that at the turning point of his life. He said, that was the thing that changed my life. It was Jesus that did it because I couldn't love her in my own way. And I want to encourage you today. I don't know, there might be a residue of, anger or hatred or unforgiveness in your heart. But whatever it is, God wants your heart clean and pure. He doesn't want you to be in any way held back. So this morning, I want to pray for you now. We're going to receive communion. And I believe this morning, God is going to do some amazing things in your life. And he's going to do these things internally, which are going to cause you to have a greater love and a greater faith for him and to walk in those things. Now, you might say, well, I don't need to forgive somebody, but I need to forgive myself. Maybe you messed up. Well, we're going to get to that too. And remember, Jesus said, be kind, tenderhearted, loving one another as I have loved you. You see, he's forgiven us. I want to pray for you first. Because you might be here this morning, you might say, well, Pastor, I, you know, I don't know if I'm really a truly a Christian. I don't know if I died tonight, whether I'd spend eternity with him. I, I just don't know. Well, I just want you to know something. He loves you so much that he's just waiting for you to, to come. It's not enough to know he died for you, but you got to receive him. Receive him for the forgiveness of your sin. Receive him into your life. Maybe you say, I've done that, but I've strayed away. You know what? He loves you so much. He's just waiting for you to come back. So, Father, today, whatever category these people might be in, and if you're in either one of those categories, I want everybody to pray this, but particularly if you're in either one of those categories, especially if you're giving your life to Jesus for the first time, please let us know. You can fill out a card and give it to one of the ministry teams. You can give it to me. I'll be in the foyer. Let us know so we can pray with you. We can stand with you. I want you to all pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying on that cross, for giving your life for me. Please forgive me. I've messed up so many times. Thank you for forgiving me. Now come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. I'm yours, Jesus. You're my Lord and Savior. I'm coming back to you. Let's give Jesus a hand. God bless you.
Now, if you've prayed that prayer, communion's gonna be awesome for you because communion is all about our relationship with him. Jesus made it possible. See, on the night he was betrayed, he broke bread and he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. Take, eat, do it in remembrance of me. His body was broken so you could be whole. And so what we're gonna do now, I want you to go ahead and receive what represents the broken body of Jesus. There's gluten-free back there if, if you can't handle this. But anyway, here's what I want to say to you. Hold on to the cup. We're going to drink the cup together. So don't drink the cup. You can go ahead and receive. And Lord, I ask as people receive what represents your broken body, that wholeness will flow into their lives. Do a mighty work, Lord, as only you can by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and receive what represents a broken body. Hold the cup.